Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Well, hey, Flip Your Lid audience. It's been a little while since I've been able to sit with you and very glad to be back. It's 2023 and my first guest intentionally for this year is my slightly younger brother. And by that, by brother, I do not mean biological, but we are brother and sister. This is Kevin Sweeney. You have heard Kevin before. He is the host of the podcast, The Church Needs Therapy. There's never been a truer statement than that so hey kevin which which, back. which which you know which kim has been a guest on by the yes. way if anybody wants yes. to go listen to that it's, it's, it's a great episode right and don't listen to anybody else there's like a bunch of big names don't listen to them skip listen. past whatever's there right. and just scroll down until you see kim then that's yeah. the one you start who with. wants to hear Jonathan martin again who wants to do that <laughs> no forget it just go go hear kim honeycutt so but anyway it's good to see you welcome back yeah i appreciate that first one special first one of 2023 yeah you know, starting off with, and I think the intentionality of it is good, you know, starting with letting go. Cause I think the yeah. tendency of something new is let's add more, let's do more. And perhaps mm-hmm. sometimes what we actually need for the newness we desire is not the adding of more, but the clearing out the decluttering, which, mm-hmm. you know, happens through some letting go and some allowing yeah. some things to be yeah. removed from the living room of our sure. inner life. So, yeah, 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 I think this is good. Yeah, so I think we're going to talk about some emotional and spiritual decluttering, the internal resources, your internal house. So, but we got we have to start the way we always start. So, and that is, and please let this lead into our understanding of understanding, letting go and surrender. But, Kevin, tell us what recently has flipped your lid and what measures have you done to help yourself reconnect to who you actually are mm. Mm. yeah well with the with the part of the question being recently yeah i may have talked about this on the first episode depending on when we recorded it but in may of last year my wife and i closed down the church yeah. that we started and led for about a decade yeah, you were on the verge of that. And I don't even know if that part got recorded, if that was just you and I talking. Mm. So please talk about that because that's talk about identity and the tendency mm. to over identify mm. and let something go. It'd be being the pastor mm. of, of a congregation of church or people that you love and you have walked away, mm. right? In faith from uh, that. Yep. So update mm. us. How are you emotionally with that? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, last Christmas, so two Christmases ago, so Christmas 2021, my wife and I essentially together made the decision. We were going towards that where we knew this is not a a rebuilding chapter of our church Mm -hmm. that we anticipated in the fall of 2021. This is actually, it is the last chapter, but it's not a rebuilding one. And we went to reopen our church in the fall of 2021. And when I thought I sensed the spirit inviting us into a new chapter and it'd be about two year rebuild, probably four to six weeks in, I started to get this sense of this isn't a rebuilding chapter. And the metaphor in my mind immediately went to like relating towards the church and we're going to put her in hospice care. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's and that, and that helps that mm-hmm. metaphor and guiding imagery imagery during a tough season helped me make sense of 
the way you relate to a living being when you're trying mm. to preserve and sustain and restore the life is drastically mm. different yeah. than the way you relate to a being when you're saying, hey, it's actually not about quantity. It's about quality. Yeah, It's not about trying to make this go longer. It's a, an invitation to be as present and alive and as wake as and, and as awake as you can possibly be sure. while this is still here. Yeah. And so that imagery really guided me in that last season, Christmas, we make a decision, we, we announced last January, and we just said, hey, we're going to have this last six-month journey. No more liturgy, no more sermons. I'm, I have no more energy for that. But back mm. at our house, like we have a, we live in a, a tower. So there's a, a public kind of amenity deck. I'm like, we're going to eat and drink and hang out. We're going to make room for all, because we're closing something down. So let's make yeah. room for all your questions. Let's make room for what you're feeling and thinking. Mm -hmm. Let's enjoy this last six months. Whoever wants to come on this journey can come on this journey. And when we announced last January, really actually right about now, like right now, yeah. I may have been going into the weekend. It, actually, you know what? It's probably a year ago right now I was about wow. to announce. Wow. That's now, that, now that I make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. And on a Sunday, we announced we were closing and through tears and laughter, my wife and I, you know, doing our thing. The first response of the congregation was to stand up and give us a standing ovation. Wow. That's that's actually no. surprising for me to hear that. That's beautiful. And it doesn't mean people didn't have questions. It doesn't mean people weren't didn't have any form of hurt or wondering or confusion or whatever. But it, what they led with was grace. That's why in my new book, The Joy of Letting Go, in the acknowledgement mm. section, I said, thank you to Imagine for letting us let go into grace. Because yeah. that's what we were met with. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah, we... The, the question of flipping your lid and identity as you bring up so wisely, mm -hmm. you know, it's, mm. it's very hard, I think, for a lot of pastors to imagine and be excited about a life beyond their congregational role. Yes, very much. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why my wife and I could let go, which it doesn't mean there wasn't grief. It doesn't mean it was easy, yeah. but why we could do it from a place of acceptance and excitement for the future was neither one of us were so over-identified with that role mm -hmm. that we couldn't imagine a life beyond that church. Yeah. Okay, so and break that down. Break that down. How <laughs> did you How did you get there emotionally? Because, you know, you know, I love your story because part of why you know, I like metaphorically fell in love with you. Clearly I don't have the ability to fall in love with you that way. You know that, right? <laughs> so I don't mean that way, but just mean like I had such respect and admiration for you was, you know, the whole thing about you not having to deconstruct your faith because you met Jesus when you were tripping on shrooms, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like you got me, you got my heart the minute someone speaks that <laughs> candidly and vulnerably. Right. And so, to be in that and then know you're not completely been constructed in a mm. framework of religion that's so restrictive and earning mentality. So I understand that. Mm. But break it down for our audience a bit of did did you curate uh, this congregation in a way, like were they groomed over time in a, in a healthy way of, mm. of balance when it comes to connection and expectations mm. that led mm. to this? Mm. I think, you know, just not always explicitly, but implicitly and assumed in the mm. atmosphere and the environment and the culture of the church wasn't a codependency from our end yeah. as leaders. And I'll speak specifically for myself from my end where I, 
there's a lot of things I don't do well pastoring. I'm terrible in organizational leadership. Yeah. I will be late responding to your text message. Six years into Imagine, I would still Google sometimes before a meeting, what do I do in a meeting, even though I was the lead pastor. <laughs> but That's great. Yeah. the human emotional maturity side of leading were the things I was actually good at. So how do you lead people while being liberated from them? Mm. How can I love Mm. people without needing to control them? How can I welcome and include people into my life without needing to control the process of their journey? Mm -hmm. I'm here as Mm -hmm. a guide. Right. I am a pastor insofar as you allow me to guide you. I don't need you to respond to me any particular way. I don't need you to be further on your journey than where you are for me to be present to you. So that sense of freedom Mm -hmm. from my end towards the congregation naturally regulates certain forms of codependency and creates an environment Mm -hmm. where there's a healthier, Mm -hmm. you're you without me. Yeah. That's right. You were you before me and you'll be you without me. Mm-hmm. I'm here as a guide during whatever season we have. And yeah. I, along the way, consciously knew and not just conceptually, but felt and realized for myself, oh, I'm not Imagine. That mm-hmm. was the name of our church. Yeah, Imagine is the primary vehicle through which the life of God is flowing through me and as yeah. me for the sake of the world. Right. And one day that vehicle will change. Right. And it's not and I always I always had a sense when we started I'm going to do this for about a decade. That's just <laughs> what I thought. Right. And it ended up being that too yeah. just about. Yeah. So I could love and give and preach and care and listen to people mm. but at the same time I wasn't the pastor who's like, I'm, I'm, I'm creating my own little isolated kingdom that I'm the Lord of, which I think a lot of pastors do unconsciously, to be honest. Yes. Yes. No, I was, this is how I'm choosing to give myself to the world. And one day that will change. So that lack of over-identification with the role, Mm -hmm. I am not that role. These are the Mm -hmm. things I'm doing to care for people right now. One day the role will change, but the real, the structure of your life can change, but the substance yeah. can remain. I knew the forms can change, but the flow, mm-hmm. the life, mm-hmm. the God, the energy, mm-hmm. the love mm-hmm. that I'm, when I close, imagine that's not an identity crisis. Right. I'm still uh, me. Yeah. Right. Okay. So but sit, tell people <laughs> about this because that is beautiful to hear. It's refreshing to my heart to hear. And it is easy in a position of authority because people subconsciously go into parent child relationship with their pastor. Right. Mm. And so they will have a second childhood in the church. Mm. And that's part Mm. of how, in my opinion, congregants remain oppressed and Mm. repressed is because Mm. they are trying to resolve something from childhood Mm. that wasn't finished, wasn't complete. Right. And so they're whatever the pastor said is true. Whatever the pastor wants me to do is I'll do whatever I'm not allowed Mm. to do is okay because it still feels so familiar to your nervous system. Mm. based on what you learned first as a child, right? So for you, you went in with some consciousness mm. of, of this, some consciousness of of observing your own thoughts, but also knowing people would still bring that pain to you with an expectation of make, mm. make it better for me. Mm. What were your techniques, your inventory or observation? Like what did you, how did you practice Mm. not going into that role or taking more on than you needed to. Mm. 
Yeah, first of all, the insights and wisdom within these questions for people listening, mm. you should, you know, not everybody has the insights and the wisdom that mm. Kim has to ask these amazing questions mm. and to oh, give thanks, the insights Kevin. along the way. So for people mm. listening, if you're it's good that you're listening because you have a great <laughs> guide here for you. Oh, thank you, Kim. Um, I appreciate that. I think one I had no desire to play that fatherly role in people's lives. I mean, we're also, yeah. it's just circumstantial. We were 28 when we started the church. Right, right. I ain't nobody's daddy you know, at 28 for these 20 year old kids or whoever. Right. And I, th- I think I always approached it as a guide and as an mm. older brother, like a sibling. Mm. I could be the big brother. I like yeah. it's I, when I was, I was the youngest, but I was like, I always wanted a little brother to be like, let me show you how this works. I, sure. Like, that was that's how I looked for after my friends growing up. I naturally mm. did that. I wanted to look out for people. That's the pastoral was in me even when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, that's good. And so I think one, I can be totally comfortable embracing the spiritual authority that comes from trust and not position, but trust right. in a relationship in that right. sibling. I I am I am here to be a guide for you. I can embrace mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and continue to push responsibility for your life back onto you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I don't, I'm not, all of my answers won't save you. I can give you guidance and help you have clarity, but your courage, your faith, you owning the agency of your life, you making decisions, that's what's going to open up the possibilities God has for you. Not my wisdom can help give you the clarity, but it's actually your courage and agency that's going Mm. to determine whether or not you move forward. So I think the leader has to keep pushing back. Yeah. responsibility like no this is your life yeah and that's good and you that's can really do whatever good. you and, I'm, and they they can feel the gravity of my energy like i don't need you to do this for me like i'm not gonna lose sleep over you making self-destructive decisions yeah that's that's so helpful i'm so bad i'm here to invite you into the future i don't need mm-hmm. this for me for my mm-hmm. ego i'm like I'm going to sleep well at night, whether you say yes to this courageous decision or no i'm here for you but like i yeah. am me Boundaries define mm-hmm. where I end and you mm-hmm. begin. Mm-hmm. I am me. You're you. I'm mm-hmm. a guide. And we can, I'll, I'll, I will give my life to you as yeah. a guide, but that's yeah. what I am. Yeah. I can't, I'm not, I'm not responsible for your decisions. Yeah. So that's, and people can feel, people can feel yes. that. They yeah. can feel that. They can read that energy. That's so healthy that if you're listening to this and something is getting sparked in you, then because really, somebody can be listening going, yeah, but, dot, dot, dot. Because it's the mm. codependency, the the phony mm-hmm. trauma response is still there. The, you know, the stuff that got taught to people, or what a pastor is supposed to be and who you're supposed to be to the pastor, that you mm. are exemplifying a, a new way, right? And this could be the way, because this is the path of health. You're so balanced in it. Again, you're not over-identifying with it. Therefore, you don't become the other person's problem. So you're also mm. not their savior. Mm. Right? Mm. Yeah. So I so wish every every church. And that is where one of my hearts, because I really, really love and respect pastors. Mm-hmm. Because it's a very challenging thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's more than people will realize what the toll it takes on people. Mm-hmm. And my heart is like, I'm not the guy who's like, I'm going to help you be more strategic. I'm going to help you implement these seven principles for exponential. Like, I don't care. And I'm not good at that, even if I wanted to be. But what I do care about and what I get is I want this pastor 
to have more joy and more peace three mm-hmm. years from now than they do mm-hmm. right now. And actually yeah. that's the kind of stuff I actually get. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And cause I want the people who have given their lives to invite other people into the river mm-hmm. to experience the joy of floating on it for Ooh, themselves. That's so know? good. So Ooh, I can just feel that. Yeah. That is so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, yeah. I don't ever prepare for like these talks. Like I just show up and see what happens. I did pull a couple of quotes of things. Nice. A, right. And, but let me say this in, in true transparency that it's because I'm working on a talk. My next talk I'm doing at my church. And so, and it, of course it's lined up with, with your, your new book, right? About mm-hmm. surrender and joy. Awesome. Yeah. So let me read to you. This is a quote by Esther Perel. Esther Perel is one of the top three leading therapists in America, the world, wherever. Okay. So she's a top dog. This is her quote. Love rests on two pillars, surrender and autonomy. Our need for togetherness exists alongside our need for separateness. One Mm. does not exist without the other. So I just want your reaction to that Mm. because I can tell you, I can't give you definition of love. I can give you definition for hate, rage, bitterness, resentment without even thinking about it, but to define love. And so I just want to see how you want to sit with with what she just, what I just read to you from Esther. Mm, mm. Love, unconditional love is a a liberating force. Mm. Yeah. Liberates you. Mm. If I love you, if I'm with, if I'm in a relationship, if I love you, what my love is doing is liberating you to be fully you. And inviting me to be liberated to be fully me even as we're as we're connected yes that's a, one of the great yeah. mysteries of connection yeah it's one of the yeah. great mysteries of how do you not just grow individually in your life but if you have a partner in a romantic sense how do you evolve together because you're mm-hmm. growing i'm growing mm-hmm. you're changing i'm changing mm-hmm. we do not have the same structure of our relationship as we did 20 years ago and yet there's still this the depth of this essence this space that we yeah. share together that is us yeah. while we still remain individuals that's a, yeah. a that's an amazing mysterious thing mm-hmm. and that quote of what is she said autonomy what was the first one so surrender which is part of why surrender. i thought about you and autonomy so and understanding the difference like you're i would love to hear your definition of surrender Mm. Right. And autonomy is a little easier. It's a self-governing, what you talked about earlier, is having agency over self. And so the the two pillars of surrender and agents and, and self-governing autonomy in relationship, right? How much time you need alone, how much time you need together, being allowed to depend mm. on somebody. So in that, how do you and in your book, how are you defining surrender? Mm. Yeah, that so those two, the surrender and autonomy is it feels impossible to give myself fully to somebody and surrendering my need to control them along the way. Oof. That can feel impossible. Yeah. I yeah. give myself, I open my heart. I give myself fully to you while knowing this maddening, crazy re- and accepting re- this maddening and crazy reality that I don't know what you're going to do with that. And yeah. yet I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to yeah. keep my heart open. I'm still going to give myself to you mm-hmm. and love you, even though I know I cannot control how you're going to respond to that. But yeah. if I can do that, that's what freedom tastes like. That's is the freedom. ability to do that. Because yeah. 
to be freed from the response of anybody else to how you do things is what allows the authenticity of your own voice to emerge because I'm no longer morphing it and shaping it to get people to like me for who I'm not or embrace me for parts of me when I'm giving the wholeness of myself to this world mm-hmm. and allowing anybody to do anything to respond to however they want because yeah this the mystery yeah. of the mystics and the people who are deeply mm-hmm. known by God is there's nothing you can do or say to me that can take away anything essential from who I am ever yeah. That's even if I get heartbroken, yeah. even if I go through something traumatic, yeah. you know, and parts yeah. of me feel stolen or parts of me are stolen. And I go through a long journey of trying to help bring those back together. Yeah. There's a fundamental essence, the truth of who I am that can't be taken. Yeah. And so surrendering. So one, that to me is for social workers, for healers, for therapists, for pastors, yeah. especially, but it's just true for anybody who's daring mm-hmm. to love in this world. Mm-hmm. Anybody mm-hmm. can I love, which is to get by love by its very nature is giving myself no withholding, mm-hmm. no protecting, giving myself fully and allowing that to be an offering and not something I'm trying to use to get something from other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's what love feels like. You yeah, know, that's, that's what giving feels like. And, you know, Cynthia Bergeau, who I think her work is just unmatched as one of the great mm-hmm. living mystics. She mm-hmm. works out of like Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. Mm-hmm. Her book, Wisdom Jesus, which was written 13 years ago, to me is one of the best books on Jesus ever. Yeah. When you look mm-hmm. at someone writing from further, more evolved stages and states of consciousness, her view of Jesus and that vision is unmatched to me. Mm, wow. Um, it's called Wisdom Jesus by okay. Cynthia. I think it's Bourgeois. It looks like a French name. I'm not sure, but that's what yeah. I assume. But she describes letting go and she kind of, the real feel of it, she says it's felt essentially as an inner drop and a release. And a release. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what I say in the book is letting go is like a loosening of the clenched muscles in your body that are holding us together mm-hmm. and a surrendering of the defense mechanisms in our mind yeah. that yeah. protect us from pain. I say it's it's like a relaxing of our vulnerable heart and emerging into the greater love of the spirit. So I say letting go is a sacred handing over. Mm-hmm. And even to, to use metaphors, because so often that's what that's what we use to describe love. It's what we use to describe God. It's all metaphors. Yeah. So I say letting go is, it feels like a conscious removing of multiple layers of the very clothes that have been covering us for as Mm -hmm. long as we remember, Mm -hmm. followed by this naked and exposed presenting of ourselves to the possible daring presence of a loving God or a benevolent reality or whatever the hell it is that holds all this together, depending on how you describe that. Sure. And so... I, I feel like letting go actually registers in your body. And it almost feels like, like if you could see me on camera, it's like you're holding your chest and your chest is tight. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. you just like relax and your body yeah. uncoils. And like, it's like these big swinging doors open to your heart. And yeah. you're like, I'm just done protecting myself and, or yeah. holding on and clinging to this thing. And I'm, I, I just have to let it go. I have to surrender. I have to trust that when I let go of this clinging, I'm falling into something good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love your word choice. I love how you put things together. I want to tell you, I so I researched what surrender means in general and also just what surrender means in the Bible. Okay. Mm. So, and the first definition came up is just submissiveness. And so the level of nausea that I have 
I just even hear the word <laughs> of being submissive. So that's just there. So to surrender spirituality and religion means a believer completes to give up his, which means I don't have to because it says his, it doesn't say hers. <laughs> his own nice. will. You can, use, right? you can use the loopholes of, of the patriarchal right? only See? using male pronouns of Bible. To, hey, well, that's, that's anything. for he. Did you say me. anything about me? I'm out. I'm out. I don't, I don't have to surrender based on this because I'm, I'm a literal learner. So it's given up his own will and subjects his thoughts, ideas, and deeds to the will and teachings of a higher power. All right. So mm. biblical definition of surrender. Listen to this, Kevin. Listen to this. Surrender means accepting that the battle has been won, not on your terms, and you're willfully giving your life over to the authority of the winning side. It means taking a humble position and embracing what is over how you would have had it, how you would have it. Okay, I just don't know where to go with this. It says that I am giving over to the winning side and I'm humble. How do I decide I'm on the winning side and stay humble? How do I believe that surrender means I win, others don't, and that that's humble? Because that's how mm. I read that. And I think why your book is so important is that this is the first kind of thing that someone Google surrender in the Christian mm. world comes up, and it's not actually what you're saying. Not At mm. least not in the way, you're saying in a way that I can practice it. I can mm. visualize it. When I read that, my I leave my essence. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, I, I write in, the, I think, probably the intro to the book, every time you let go, you begin again. Mm, that's good. And every time you begin yeah. again, a part of you is born again. Yeah. So that's one with, with letting go, you know, the title is a paradox. You know, mm -hmm. the joy of letting go. Right. Letting go doesn't feel like a joy while you're doing it because it's not. Letting yeah. go is a form of dying. Right. You're dying expectations you had on yeah. people, on mm -hmm. your life, on the world. You're dying to the way you thought things were supposed to work out. You're dying to mm -hmm. illusions you had about how life works. This is letting go of those things is a form of dying. Yeah. And that's where the paradox comes in is what I want people to trust is letting go while it's the last thing you want actually has the power to give you everything you want. Yeah. It's so letting letting go always leads to more joy like yeah. the story i'm a part of this christian story and one of the reasons why i'm a christian is this story of life death and resurrection is just so yeah. real it's everywhere mm -hmm. it's in me mm -hmm. it's in you it's in mm -hmm. creation it's in it's biological it's everything mm -hmm. and so you know death always leads to resurrection letting go yeah. always leads to joy you know yeah embracing in nothingness you discover everything the great paradoxes mm -hmm. the mystics keep telling us about through the perennial tradition for thousands of years yeah. and so the letting go is even the idea of the whole the battle's been won it's mm -hmm. you know jesus says i have overcome the world mm -hmm. he didn't say you have to overcome the world yeah. he said i've yeah. overcome the world and there's something within us we don't realize that along the way in our journeys where it's like we're trying to like fight and win life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like we're climbing mm -hmm. something we're trying mm -hmm. to get over something we're mm -hmm. trying to beat something we're trying to dominate somewhat yeah. no gee hey this this isn't this isn't a fight yeah the yeah. battle's already been won of course yeah, we use metaphors like fighting for or we fight for yeah. for justice of course right. but 
you're not the one who's responsible for overcoming mm-hmm. everything. No, it's already been overcome. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, when you talk about being humble, why can I let go? Because I trust that when I do, everything's going to be okay. Every yeah. time I've ever let go and embraced that real death, mm-hmm. you enter into this liminal, in-between, uncertain space, which feels impossible. And that's why we avoid it. Yeah. And so yet every time love, the spirit, grace, yeah. God has carried me through all the way mm-hmm. to joy and to resurrection. Mm-hmm. Every single mm-hmm. time I have mm-hmm. walked to what felt like an edge in my life and yeah. I've practiced acceptance and letting go and kept walking. Every time I walked to the edge, a bridge to my future was made, but it was not made until yeah. I had the courage to walk into the unknown and uncertainty yeah. myself. That's what faith is to me. Yep. I don't care about abstract beliefs at all. Yeah. Yeah. Faith is when you come to the edge of the boundaries of what you thought was yourself, mm-hmm. when you come to the edge of, oh, I thought this how life, this is how life worked, but it doesn't. And it feels mm-hmm. so hard to let that go. When I come to the edge, can I accept that? Let it go. Take another step and believe I will be carried through to a larger sense of myself mm-hmm. and greatest. That's where faith gets mm-hmm. its teeth and really matters in my life. So yeah, and and what a great Letting go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great imagery. Just the teeth of it, right? Like that. There's, like that. There's a sense of the the ability to bite into something to have a strong hold on something that is for you, mm-hmm. right? The idea that to serve a God that is for us, and not necessarily. Um, and again, I think you explained it better than I could ever explain it. But that that there is there is a battle. There is an internal mm. battle, right? But it's the idea of my battle is that I have to figure out how to sur- identify and then surrender to things that I was first taught. The mm. conditions were placed mm-hmm. on me that this is who I'm going to have to be if I'm going to mm. be loved and understanding mm. that that was actually more conditional. Mm. Conditional responses and conditional love than I want to look at and realize. Mm. Yeah, that's where even you know, letting go and that kind of faith I just described, it has its teeth. And by the way, an important thing, I don't get into in great detail in the books. That's not what the book's about, but that courageous letting go, stepping over the edge, trusting the unknown that your life Mm -hmm. will be enlarged through Mm -hmm. love when that happens. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have any abstract religious beliefs to do that. Right. That's right. So you can have a Christian who's technically orthodox when it comes to abstract beliefs. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in this. Cool. But when it comes to them walking to the edge of their own life and they don't Mm -hmm. do it, they don't let go. They just Mm -hmm. keep clinging on to the old things. They keep staying stuck. Then you have a person who's agnostic. I don't know what I think. I'm deconstructing or I never was in the church. But for some reason, they just have this trust that there's a benevolence that will carry them through. That person's actually going to be more free in Christ than the Christian who has mm-hmm. beliefs but is not doing the actual journey of transformation. Yeah. So yeah. I always find that to be interesting. <clears throat> well, and that's part of why your work is so important. Why I hope people are reading all three of your books that this understanding of that we're not always taught the actual practice within the the church as a whole, but it's still our job to seek out what do we practice mm. that allows us to identify what won't let us step more into true self. Mm, mm. Yeah. And even, you know, with, with your work with people in trauma, (coughs) right. You know, letting go, stepping over these edges of these boundaries, like some of the work 
of overcoming trauma is you're stepping over and transcending and trying to have the courage to move beyond what have felt like boundaries for so long. Like fences, imagine God has invited us into this wide open field and what happens with trauma in different parts of our life is that wide open field actually is very small. It's a very small enclosed space. And to think I have the agency to like not stay in this toxic relationship. I have the agency to not constantly be bullied in by this OCD response to trauma that's keeping me stuck here that where Mm. I can't have the courage to live beyond it to take a step beyond and be like, if I, I've always feel like if I do this, I'm going to like die or not be me and I won't be safe. Right. But to have the courage Mm -hmm. and the faith to slowly at our own pace, start to take some steps beyond what have felt like edges and boundaries for ourselves, but actually have been these small things that have been placed there through trauma, through the narratives Mm -hmm. of other people, through all this stuff, like, letting go is required to let go of the need to stay within that old story that says I can't have these kinds of good things or I can't be loved and to take a step and take a risk beyond that. That also involves letting go of old protective mechanisms, of old ways of surviving, of old management techniques that help you survive Mm -hmm. your first half of life that Mm -hmm. are now getting in the way of the freedom of your second half of life. Yeah. You you just nailed it and described the beauty of therapy in the therapeutic process Mm. so well, right? It's so much of it, of just knowing the idea of letting go of believing what kept me safe then, because Mm. when that happens within your system, that cook mechanism that you have, that survival strategy that part still thinks you're eight years old. It won't know that 40 years has mm. passed. Mm. So what you do now won't completely match. It will be incongruent and we'll get further and further separate from self. And so one of the biggest things that this is about what I'm here to talk about is truth. And it reminds me of Byron Katie's four questions. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she... Mm. Um, and the name, yeah, but I don't, yeah. I'm not, sure. I don't, I'm not familiar with her work like that. Well, she has four questions, and it's so much of what you're saying is being able to kind of step back, get into my essence, look at what I'm thinking, and really be able to question it objectively, observe it without judgment, and to see is this something? Is this actually my thought? Is it passed down to me? Mm-hmm. And is it true? And that's one. That's her first question. Is it true? Is it really true? And it goes. Her question is going to talk about. And if it's not true, who am I without these thoughts? Because we have mm. to identify what we over-identify with because that's what removes us from self and keeps us tethered to childhood beliefs, ideas, and techniques. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a story. I, I'm, I think I, I do tell this story in this book about, you know, because the premise of the book is letting go is not one thing we do. Letting go is that which holds together everything we do. Mm-hmm. So letting go isn't like something you add on to everything else. Letting go is a part of and flowing through everything we do in order to keep it going well. So each chapter Mm -hmm. is compassion and letting go, being Mm -hmm. present and letting go, Mm -hmm. working for justice and letting go. What does letting go have to do with all these things? And my my belief is letting go is required just beneath the surface in a perpetual reality Mm. to do all these things well so you think what is what does letting go have to do with being present you know what does letting go have to do with working for justice but to me it's there to sustain joy yeah specifically what we're talking about with narratives and beliefs 
Mm-hmm. In 2016, my wife and I, my wife was pregnant. She was like seven months pregnant. And we, she was the MC for this event in DC with this network of like church planning network. We started with a long time ago, V3 great people. We're still connected with. And, you know, my wife's emceeing this event. I think we're both, or I'm doing a couple of talks there. So we're on the East coast. And the last night <clears throat> they're doing, you know, like a communion worship night, really cool, really amazing mm-hmm. old church they were in. And as it was happening, Deb Hirsch, I don't know if people are familiar with her, but like mm-hmm. Alan Hirsch, Deb Hirsch, yeah. very like missional church, like 15, 20 years ago, like they were some of the first leaders, like missional church and where this is all going. Amazing people. And Deb came over to us. We had met her a couple of times and she wants to pray for us and pray for my wife because we're about to have our first kid. So think about it. That's a beautiful gesture. Uh She's somebody I really respect a lot in her work. And I really like her and her husband Mm -hmm. are great. So here's this person I admire who wants to come pray for us. So on the, on the surface of it, really simple, right? Seems great. And as she, it was like when she wanted to do that and started praying you know, she's affirming us and she's encouraging us, right? We're having this moment, it's worship. You know how those moments are. It's very powerful. And as she was starting to do this, I could feel my ego begin to contract yeah, and my heart start to close off mm-hmm. because an old story was arising for me yeah. in that moment. Yeah, yeah. There was an old story within me that was popping up saying, she has to say this. Yeah. She doesn't truly mean this. All the protection. She's... She yeah. says this stuff to everybody. Yeah. Whatever. I'll just sit here and let her go through the motions while she does it. But I'm, re- I can, I'm like truly starting to distance myself from mm-hmm. the moment. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about narratives and stories and how this works on a practical level, I've always had this weird suspicion when you talk about like core narratives and core beliefs that like, I've always questioned people in authority and I've been very suspicious of their motives. Uh And I've always, it's like, I doubted their ability to care for me. Mm -hmm. So this inherited narrative made a part of me believe that someone in authority who I respect and admire can never be genuinely interested in me or enjoy my presence. Like that's why I grew up. My greatest fear was like being a burden to people, like overstaying Mm -hmm. my welcome. Like I would Mm -hmm. end conversations prematurely so they yeah. couldn't end them like I right. had oh, that yeah. was in me yeah and I could hear the voice of that story saying that and starting to close me off from the goodness and the love that was flowing and I could feel it and I caught it I'm like and I, another voice came up that's like Kevin it, it's okay to just let somebody care for you mm-hmm. in real time this is mm-hmm. happening in oh, me yeah. She oh, don't yeah. know I'm having this whole thing, right? Yeah. I say, maybe, maybe she can do this with multiple people and still mean it to you. Just because she affirms other people doesn't mean it's not real what she's saying. Mm-hmm. You you can let somebody care for you. And I recognize that protective storyline for what it was. Mm-hmm. I disidentify with it. I could feel myself letting mm-hmm. go of this narrative in the moment. I allowed it to pass by me. So I surrender. I fall yeah. into the moment. And then what happens when I did that? You cry. I started crying. Of course. <laughs> it hits. Of it course. Because yeah. I'm like, when I relaxed and, and let go of this old misguided narrative, I could feel mm-hmm. my ego like start to mm-hmm. uncoil and I start mm-hmm. to open up. I could feel my being expand. It was like I finally was free enough to let the love that was flowing yeah. from God through this person towards me just hit me. And mm-hmm. 
there are stories we all need to let go of to be more open to love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are stories at work in all of us that are getting in the way of God. And there's plot lines in our minds that we've mm-hmm. used to protect ourselves from being hurt that now mm-hmm. are preventing us from being loved. Yeah. So true. And that is one example of how so letting go is connected with receiving love because you yeah. wouldn't really think about that. So, no, I have to let go of these old narratives mm-hmm. I used to protect myself with to receive the love of mm-hmm. the presence of a person with yeah. me. So. That's an important story because it shows in real time mm-hmm. how letting go and surrendering was the only way forward for me to yeah. receive the love that honestly yeah. is all I have ever wanted right. in life. Right, right. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And the key words of disidentifying, right? Like mm. allowing yourself to let it pass and not not like trusting the experience instead of trusting what you're about to re-experience. Mm. Right? Because mm. if it stays the same, it's just a re-experience. It's the same old story. And there's a, a term called neuroception. Neuroception means that we are constantly looking for cues for safety, threat, and danger. Mm. That means that when something happens, you have a physiological reaction, whether you realize it or not. And when you first have that physiological reaction, the story that comes with that, the story you first had is what comes into you. And mm. without doing the work and doing what you did, disidentifying with what you knew first, which is, again, really faith-based, incredible mm. courage, Mm-hmm. Right. To not to find safety differently, to find safety mm-hmm. in God and self instead of in what I've always known, because people mm-hmm. feel very safe in disconnection. Mm-hmm. God has called us to feel safe in connection. Mm, so good. Yeah. I yes. had a, um, especially especially for somebody who. Even if people met me or heard me on a podcast, they would probably think I'm a lot more naturally extroverted than I am, but I'm not. I'm actually naturally yeah. very introverted. And like right. people who are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a five, Yeah, yeah which yeah. is I'm a head person. You want to mm-hmm. gain a bunch of knowledge to protect mm-hmm. yourself. So when you say people are like safe, feel safe in disconnection, mm. it's scary how naturally the patterns I have create isolation. Mm-hmm. That's something even yeah. to this day, sure. I still have to be mindful of, of like, right. oh, my natural response is to not be around or not be connected, you yeah. know? And I'm like, yeah. I have to be very mindful of being intentional mm-hmm. connections, my mm-hmm. wife, relationships, kids, everybody, because mm-hmm. all of my default patterns, if I'm, if I was on autopilot are like, right. I'm just alone again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really scary. Yeah. No, it's true. And the amount of energy you have in your day, when you're done, you're done. And oh, so being meticulous goodness. and being careful and letting it be from a place of love of mm. who you want to save your space for, right? Mm. The intentionality around that is so beautiful. Mm. 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 I had one of my um, favorite people say to me to this week and, and, and she was just talking about something. She's a, she's a client. I've known her for a very long time and, and she brought up the invisible audience and mm. She talked about how many things she doesn't do out of the her a part of her mind telling her there's an audience watching her. There's something that she wants to do outside that will help her have a hobby, will help her go in forth and do what she feels like is next in her life. But she's decided that her neighbors are going to watch her and make fun of her mm. or try to ask her, do you want some help with that? Like mm. this incredible narrative that comes in. And the idea of her having to take a second and question if any of it's true. And if it is true, does she have the emotional capacity as a 55-year-old woman Mm. to know what to do next? Mm. But the story that comes in first, she's five. 
So she can't mm. say, no, I don't want your help, or please don't come on my property, or I got this, thanks. Or it doesn't mm. have to be bothered by them saying whatever they say, or not, or even if they are watching her making fun of her. It actually doesn't have to affect her. But when there's an invisible, visible audience related to an old narrative, mm. we won't move forward at all over mm. a, an idea that may not even be happening. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's why, you know, I say that the foundation of my faith is not beliefs I have about God. It's the belief in the knowing that I'm being held by God. Mm. That's not the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, you're right. You know, I can have beliefs. I am over here having beliefs that are over there. Even when we talk about being disidentified, actually, even when we talk about deconstruction, evolving mm-hmm. spiritually, your views of God are evolving. But that's actually quite a bit easier when you have an experiential knowledge that you are not your beliefs. Right. Sure. Because when you're so over-identified, even with the belief system, like, you know, Ken Wilber says the belief system yeah. is not just a belief system. It's it's a housing for your ego. So your ego mm-hmm. le- treats your belief system, your religious belief system as a house that keeps you safe and is yeah. defi- like, oh, makes sure. you feel you. Yeah. So when someone attacks your belief system, it feels like they're attacking everything that yeah. makes you you. Sure. And the direct experience of God is to recognize for yourself to say, oh, I'm not those beliefs. I have beliefs and they're fallible and misguided and should be different five years from now, Mm -hmm. but I am not those beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that experiential knowing changes everything. And so Mm -hmm. for me, as a person who, you know, Thomas Keating, the great, you know, father of centering Mm -hmm. prayer in the West, Mm -hmm. you know, talks about programs for happiness and I forget exactly what they are, but it's like, you know, some, some people are more oriented towards like security. Some are more <clears throat> oriented towards affection and esteem. We have our different mm-hmm. programs for happiness. And I naturally, in my ego, and my default patterns are like in a, like an attention person. Right. Like I played sports growing up and did music. It's like, you tell me I did a good job scoring 30 points, but what my soul hears from you is like, you matter. Yeah, Sure. Because you see me, you if know, you don't you say it, me. If you don't say it, then you don't matter. What am I? Yeah. You know, the applause right. of yesterday says nothing about how I feel about myself today. So I got to yeah. do it. I got to perform for you again yeah. today. Sure. You know, right. somebody tell me I'm, I'm mad. Like you yeah. said, great shot. What I heard is I'm lovable. Thank right. you. Right. It doesn't exactly. last for tomorrow, but at least today it holds me together. Yeah. And that constant tyranny of needing to be seen, Mm -hmm. which is to be affirmed and to really Mm -hmm. have my value affirmed Mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. My primary experience of God in that conversion experience you talked about earlier was there is a set of, there's an immovable center in this universe that is a set of eyes that see me with an ever-present loving and affirming gaze. Mm -hmm. That is my dominant Mm -hmm. experience of God. Yeah. And is yeah. to this day. Yeah. That right there, when you describe your 55 year old friend, mm. now it's not that when I do this, I, the reason why I don't need to do everything to be seen by somebody else is because I trust that even without them seeing me, I'm already seen. Mm-hmm. That set of things that says, I don't need to constantly worry about the invisible audience or to be seen, to be controlled by the tyranny of they is. I'm going to do things that aren't approved of by everybody or aren't liked or affirmed by Mm -hmm. everybody. And my goal is not to get them to like me. My goal is actually to have the freedom to express the truth of who I am without the need for them to affirm me. Why can I do that now? When you talk Mm -hmm. about faith, Mm -hmm. 
Because no matter what the eyes of somebody else tell me, there is this set of eyes that refuses to look at me in any other way except for a loving and affirming mm. affirming presence. Mm. That's what changed. That's why yeah. I do what I do now. Yeah. That's what changed my life when mm -hmm. I was 18 was mm -hmm. not believing that, but knowing and experiencing yeah. that, that liberating gaze of love. That's like, it doesn't matter what other people yeah. say, because even earlier when you talked about like desires or stories, personally and creatively, I work, I've worked with a lot of creatives and artists, you know, just through my life naturally. And um, when it comes to, that affirming gaze and, and people being seen, I'm like, and offering our lives creatively, we have to learn how to recognize the difference between desires that are indigenous to the soil of our own spirit and desires mm -hmm. that have been planted there by others. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's the Do difference. I want to so look at in my life growing up, I had to accept when I was 17 or 18, like I've worked my whole life to put myself in a position to play college basketball. Mm -hmm. I've I've done so much to do, make things happen musically. Now I have the opportunity to do either. But once I have this profound experience of God or even before leading up to it, I really was like, do I love these things? Mm -hmm. Do I want these things actually? Mm -hmm. Or do I just need what they do for my ego? Yeah. Do yeah. I love basketball? Do I love, mm -hmm. do I want to do music forever? Or is it just a socially mm -hmm. celebrated thing that can make me have a whatever degree of fame, which what will then make me feel lovable and special? Yeah. Like, do right. I had to really say, do I want this? Mm -hmm. Or have I just been programmed to want these things? Cause I've been told that's what will make me happy. And I realized I don't actually want to do these things. Yeah. yeah. And the, and that's where the courage Mm -hmm. coming from that direct experience of God was I had to go against every expectation, everything everybody wanted for me. Like mm -hmm. my friends, my family, I worked my whole life to get here at 18. And then I just decided to move away to Hawaii, do nothing, go to a community college and be with my girlfriend at the time. And yeah. nobody was happy for me. Yeah. And everybody thought I made a mistake and family criticized me and friends mm -hmm. were saying negative things. Mm -hmm but I knew exactly mm. what I was doing because the eyes of God seeing me helped yeah. me see my life with more clarity. Yeah. And I lived from that beyond the tyranny of they and the invisible audience, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and I actually, I got that, the indigenous desires and desires that have been planted from, a from some of Shane Hip's work, he took. Mm -hmm. He was with Rob Bell at the end of Rob's Mars Hill. Uh -huh. Brilliant pastor back then, yeah. great writer. He does. He does like corporate consulting kind of stuff now, something like that. But his some of his stuff on differentiation and leading and desires is huh. just super profound. If anybody looks him up, yeah, no, that sounds amazing. But see, so part of what you're saying, one of my favorite scriptures is Acts one eight. Right, the last thing Jesus said before he goes to be with God is, you know, he tells us to go witness, right? Mm. And I think that's so powerful. And I teach people, in my opinion, what has to be first witness is our own story. We have to compassionately learn how to witness what we've actually been through. To, mm. And in that, it's storytelling, story receiving, right? Story witnessing. And there's something about witnessing what you've been through, the lens of compassion, that mm. I think then gets us so in our essence and our God self that we then know our purpose. We then know what to do, right? Mm. Think how much we hide what we've been through and 
and not look a little bit deeper about what that did to us, what we're believing now, what behaviors we have now because of that. But to be able to look at that, I think that takes more courage Mm. in anything to accurately look at something and decide from that, what do I keep and what do I let go of? Mm. Yeah, it's... It's amazing how <clears throat> invested we are in not seeing things accurately. Yes. And that goes back into the old story, right? Mm. If I stay in my old story, I will see the same thing over and over again, no matter what's actually happening to me. Mm. Yeah. And that's the, you know, for me, the in the book, The Joy of Letting Go, it's the, the things we've never wanted to accept, the things we never thought we could mm. let go of. Mm-hmm. What I want to say is that which comes from facing those things, you have to face them and see them before you can let go of them. Yeah. You cannot let go of something unless you have first accepted and taken it into yourself. You cannot accept something unless mm-hmm. you first seen it. So it always mm-hmm. begins with awareness. It doesn't stop there, mm-hmm. but uh-huh. it begins there. Awareness is the first, okay. it feels like the end, but it's actually just the beginning part yes. of the full journey of yeah. forgiveness, acceptance, and yeah. letting go. Yeah. And what I want to keep telling people to me, I'm like, um holly oxhandler who wrote the book the soul helper have you heard mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. she's awesome yeah you know she she i had her on my podcast she's awesome hmm. she hasn't been on here you should try to get her on she, she, right. she has some yeah she has some great stuff hmm. but she wrote an endorsement for my book and talks of, she wrote and i really like this and it captures i think my writing style well but she's like talks about my work as like this playful and profound wisdom mm-hmm. because all I'm talking about is death and letting go. But if you meet right. me, I'm like a fool, you know, like I joke around, like <laughs> yeah. you'd be like, does this dude take anything s- seriously? Right. right. But I'm like, well, that's the the paradox of the heart of mm-hmm. a mystic is the mystic takes everything seriously and yet nothing seriously at the same time. Right. And I can talk about letting go with the playfulness and telling mm-hmm. jokes, but I'm also like, and this is the hardest thing you're ever yeah. going to right. do. Yeah. The acceptance work and forgiveness yeah. and letting go. And what I want to keep telling people is, you can you can trust mm-hmm. the letting go. David Foster, the writer David Foster Wallace says, everything I ever let go of has claw marks on it. Yeah. 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 And what I want to say is it doesn't have to, though. Right. Right. You don't have to you're we're 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 clinging mm-hmm. to whether it's old narratives and stories, mm-hmm. we're clinging to old ego needs. What we're yeah. clinging to the very things that are getting in the yeah. way of the freedom and love we yeah. desire. Yeah. It doesn't have to, because it doesn't have to have claw marks because the more you let go, mm-hmm. the more you trust it. Yeah. The more you die to things, the more you trust resurrection. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. a frustrating thing about letting go is I say the only way to get better at letting go is by letting go. Yeah, that's true. You well can't said. think yourself into it. It's an embodied mm-hmm. emotional and psychological process mm-hmm. to be fully aligned, mm-hmm. to let go of something, fall into what feels like an abyss and to discover you're actually not only yeah. are you okay, but you're more free. And yeah. the more you do it, the more you kind of laugh and you're like, I've been here before. Yeah. I just, yeah. by the way, when I'm talking about the joy of letting go, I am just on the other side of a big form of letting go in my life. Yeah. 10 years mm. of creating and building and pouring your life mm-hmm. out to something. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just ended seven months ago or something yeah. like that. I'm not on the, I'm not all the way on the other side yet. Yeah. I'm in the middle of it. I'm yeah, in that good. in between space of just starting to. Mm-hmm take some steps into the next thing. And so I'm not like, Hey, four years ago I did something and now I'm okay. I'm like, no, I'm in the middle of living mm-hmm. into uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of 
can I begin again at 38? I'm in the middle of trusting something yeah. new. And it's like, I'm okay because I've yeah. been here before. Yeah, I've felt so this before. I've yeah. stepped into uncertainty before. I've had courage right. before. And it doesn't mean everything's gone the way I wanted. But every time mm -hmm. I've done that, there has been a way that has been made by yeah. the spirit as I'm traveling on that yeah. path. And I believe that will happen again with no guarantees, but I get a sense it will. Cause mm -hmm. I keep seeing that happen again and mm -hmm. again. Yeah. It's so good. And it's a new story, right? It's, it's just mm -hmm. a new story. Even though you've been here before you're open to a new story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's such incredible faith. So thank you for being mm -hmm. a part of this with us. Mm -hmm. So your book is on Amazon. It's available now. Joy of Letting Go. It's out and it came out uh, nine or 10 days ago. So yes, yeah. whenever this comes out, Joy of Letting Go by Kevin Sweeney on Amazon. The first book, The Making of a Mystic is connected yep. with my page there. People want to follow along more. I'm most active on Instagram at Kevin Sweeney one. And then my own podcast, The Church Needs Therapy. Yeah. Which if you, if you ever check out for the first time, obviously start with Kim's episode. Yes. And then, say and then that you again. work your way. <laughs> and then you go, you go from there, wherever it goes. Right. Then you can listen to all the great, other great people. All right. I'm going to put you in the hot seat real quick. This is how we always love to end. Okay. Again, thank you so much. It was so good. So, all right. Mm. Simple questions. What's your favorite color? Blue. Okay, good answer. What's your favorite book written by Kim Honeycutt? Mm. I'm about to tell you number one. I'm about to pick, give you one finger. <laughs> um, does it sound uh, the like the, the sound, first one that she did? Yeah, the only one she did called "But Your Mother Loves You." That one is that oh, it, yes, Kevin? Yes, is that yes. It? No, okay. no, no. I, that but your mother loves you. Okay. Yes. So I'm whenever, I'll never do that myself again. I don't know how you're on your third <laughs> book. What is your favorite book written by Kevin Tweeney? Oh, man. For now, since it just came out. Yeah. The the, the substance of the joy of letting go I love, but the making yeah. of a mystic is special because it was my first one. So. Yeah. That one, that one I can't choose. I don't care. I'm not playing the game that way. I can't choose. <laughs> I like the game. They're all good. <laughs> They're all good. All right. All right. Last question. What do you want your children to know about you? Mm -hmm. Wow. I've never had anybody ask me that before. You're welcome. <laughs> that, um, that my dad ferociously lived and loved his life and, mm. And never forgot about us and loved us the best Ooh. along the way. Ooh, I can feel that. That's so good. And just on that one answer, y'all, that's a really good reason mm -hmm. to go check out his books. Please go to Amazon. We'll hopefully have a link in our notes. Check out mm -hmm. his podcast, The Church Needs Therapy. Find him on Instagram. Make sure he gets more followers. Do what we have to do to help him get attention. And don't forget mm. that I also need attention. So, hey, Kevin, thank <laughs> you. As always, so good to see you. Uh, thanks, Kim, so much. This was great. All right. Flip your lid, audience. So glad to be with you again. I know you heard something today to flip your lid. And I pray you heard something that will help you reconnect to who God says you are. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit ButYourMotherLovesYou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.
stand? Um, I don't have a nightstand, but let's see. Right now in front of me is like a light that's moved, a nightstand that's moved from my wife's side in front of me for this right now. So whatever's on my nightstand is enhancing this conversation right now. It's working perfectly. It's working great. That's (laughs) awesome. So what do you like best about living in Hawaii? Well, let's see. I'm on the 37th floor of my building right now looking out at a rainbow that's going mm-hmm. over the water. So wow. we can, that, that's definitely wow. one of them. But wow, that is amazing. My wife and I is just the family. This is where we want. This is where mm-hmm. we want to establish roots. My wife and I both surf and our kids to grow up with the beach, to grow up mm-hmm. with the water as just such an essential part of their life is important to us. Yeah, that's so good. It's wonderful. What food is love for you? Ooh. When I choose to indulge any kind of desserts that are like chocolate, peanut butter, cookie dough-ish, cheesecake, ice cream kind of stuff. I'm like as rich. There's there's yeah. nothing too rich for me. Right. There's That's nothing great. too rich for me. <laughs> that is so great. I love that. <laughs> what surprises people the most about you? The people who meet me now are surprised by how I live growing up. Yeah. The people who I grew yeah. up with are surprised by what I do now. Ah, I love that. I love that. Yep. That's good. That's okay, what, what surprises is. you the most about you? Surprises me about me? I think over time that I can keep choosing to to really, really care mm. and throw myself into things when yeah. in my default personality, it's to play it cool and act like I don't care to protect myself from failure. Yeah, yeah, that's so well said. Yeah. All right, yeah. final question. From now on, when you hear flip your lid, who or what are you going to think of? Kim Honeycutt Woo! and the amazing time yes, that yes. we had here. That is the right answer. You are the winner. So good. I love and I'm, I'm going to be walking by people on the streets and they're going to use the, the phrase flip your lid in a casual conversation. I'm like, oh, do you guys know Kim too? That's, That's cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're best friends. <laughs> that is great. All right, Kevin, people want to follow you. They want to read your book, all the things. Tell them a little ways so they can get a hold of you. Yeah, the book, The Making of a Mystic, comes out May 31st of this year. So find it when the pre-order comes up on Amazon, whenever that is, which I don't know yet. But until then, The Church Needs Therapy podcast. You can type it into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever Mm -hmm. you listen to them for the most part. And then on Instagram, it's probably the most updated you'll see from everything I'm doing, whether it's the podcast or the writing or just whatever's happening in my life. So my Instagram is at Kevin Sweeney one. And that is probably the best place to stay in tune with everything else. So yeah, writing some other things, you know, coming up, I actually, you know, have that second book coming out in January. So it's, I have some, yeah, it's a, you know, the challenge and the grieving last season leading into the decision to close Imagine. And then, mm-hmm. like I've been saying this whole podcast, after the letting go, it's always more love and always more liberation. So that's what I'm sensing into my future right now. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's possible for everybody tuning mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. when we truly entrust mm-hmm. in those letting go moments to the to the life of God. So, it's so, true. Yes. It's so, so well more said. life for everybody who's listening in. Yeah, more life, more light. And for all of you, thank you, Kevin. Like, Yeah, thank um, you so much. This yeah, I appreciate great. you helping me reconnect to 
who God says I am for myself as well through this conversation, through your through your book. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Kim. So everyone who was listening, I know you heard something today that helped you to reconnect to who God says you are. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.